0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, and thank you for bringing us to the beginning of it. Um, Lord, I just pray that um, your word would ring true here today. Lord, I pray that there would be less of me and more of you, that um, my words would be your words and through them you would be glorified. I pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so this class is Jesus' Passion Predictions. Um, I think he's trying to tell us something. So why is this class happening? Why Jesus' Passion Predictions? Well, so this spring, I was reading through Mark and just like my personal Bible study and okay, I can't really wear these y'all. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have to split back and forth. Um, I was reading through Mark in my personal Bible study and um it was just one of those times, you know, when you've read familiar passages time and time again, but you just have a, a, a time where it's like the words just jump off the page at you. Well, it was one of those experiences and particularly just the intentionality of Jesus's ministry is what was really hitting me um, differently. And then during a Bible study that I was leading on a totally different topic, one of the participants asked, well, I mean, Jesus didn't actually tell his disciples he was going to die, did he? And another one said well he kind of alludes to it in john but you know he doesn't really come right out and tell them don't you just love it when god does what god does so i said well you know i've been reading about that recently let's turn so we turned in our bibles to um mark 8 um, 31 and um and we read this together And he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And I love this part when we read this in this class. Verse 32 says, and this he said plainly. Don't laugh. The disciples missed it too. And as I started planning this class, I realized that the people in my Bible study couldn't be the only ones. So did jesus tell his disciples he was going to die the answer to this question is yes explicitly he did tell his disciples he was going to suffer and die and rise again on the third day and he told them on three different occasions that are recorded in each of the synoptic gospels um, and made numerous though less explicit references throughout the gospel of john so why does it matter why does it even matter that jesus made these passion predictions Jesus is predicting his suffering and death matters um, because it shows, I'm sorry, because it shows his ability to foretell his passion, shows his divinity. It shows that he is the Word who was in the beginning, the Word that was with God, and the Word that was God. He is the omniscient, omnipresent God of the universe who worked his plan for redemption before he spoke us into being. Jesus' predictions of his death and resurrection show that his dying, the death that we deserve for our rebellion and sin against God, was always the plan. Not inaudible, not because the disciples turned out to be a bunch of nitwits that, you know, Jesus just couldn't work with. Jesus is the suffering servant foretold by the prophet Isaiah, this is who Messiah is. And Jesus predicting his passion shows us that this is something that he did willingly. Hey Lucy Kate. He didn't finally push it too far with the religious leaders or back himself into a corner with the Roman authorities. He is the good shepherd who willingly lays down his life for his sheep and the one who can take it back up again. Jesus is predicting his passion, prepares his disciples for what's coming. In John 14, 29, Jesus says, And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I mean, as overwhelming and horrific as the whole scene at Gethsemane, the trial, and the cross was, can you even imagine if Jesus had kept it all to himself? I mean, one minute the disciples are there with Jesus being heralded in a parade of palm branches. And the next thing you know things are as grim and seemingly hopeless as the last scene in infinity war. Jesus knows the disciples aren't going to get it he knows they won't understand but he gives them what they need so as belief is given to them they will remember and be able to connect the dots and it shows the disciples the limit of their natural understanding It reveals their dependence on God and their need for help outside of themselves. And this he said plainly. So it was this verse that really made the desire to teach this class take root for me. We got a good giggle out of it in that class I was teaching. It's a sentence I've never paid particular attention to, but it's not a throwaway line. It's important because Jesus is being sure to be clear for the sake of his disciples and for us. Jesus isn't dropping subtle hints, leaving obscure clues so that only the brightest and the best who can solve the Jesus puzzle might come to understand who he is. So you might ask, how did the disciples miss it? Well. I mean, did you see how that whole loaves and fishes thing went down? The disciples missed what Jesus was saying for the same reasons we do. What are some of the reasons that the disciples couldn't receive what Jesus was saying? What are some reasons we can't receive what Jesus is saying?
1: You don't
0: like it. You don't like it. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah it'll be pretty, right, <laughs> Invol- involve more rather than less, yeah. So, fear, pride, self-absorption, denial, spiritual blindness, and scripture tells us that the disciples didn't understand, but they were afraid to ask. The disciples didn't follow what Jesus was saying because they had their own agenda. They had their own picture of how things should go and of what kind of Messiah Jesus would be. You know, it's really the same struggle that we have with the God we want versus the God who is. We see this play out when Peter rebukes Jesus for saying he's going to be killed. We'll look at that more next week. What kind of Messiah would let himself get killed, and what good was a dead Messiah? This is not the Messiah we ordered. The disciples suffered from a complete misunderstanding of Messiah's mission and how their Messiah would shepherd and save his people. The disciples were unable to see the cross as a good thing. A cross that killed Jesus and was the end of the story would have rendered Jesus not to be Christ at all. So, But a good shepherd leads his sheep to what they need, and Jesus leads his disciples to the cross. Jesus says this plainly, knowing his disciples won't be able to grasp what he is saying yet, but preparing them so they have what they need when belief is given to them. Does anybody have any comments at this point? Um, Jesus' passion predictions are also great examples of his intentionality in teaching his disciples. So Jesus was not simply a great teacher as some believed then and now, but he was a great teacher. Every great teacher knows how to set clear objectives and make a plan to meet those objectives. And Jesus had three main objectives in teaching his disciples. One was to know who he is, Son of God, Son of the living God, God incarnate. He is Messiah, the one who is to come. Two, to know what he came to do, to save us from our bondage to sin and death and restore us to right relationship with God. And three, to understand how the kingdom of God works. So the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God Uh, Cameron Cole recently did a fabulous series on this and I recommend you go back and listen to it because we don't have time to get really into it today but it was fantastic these are used interchangeably um, throughout Scripture and I don't have time to get into the particulars of why each is chosen at different points Um, but the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God describes God's eternal sovereign rule over all creation and God's spiritual rule over the hearts and lives of those who accept Christ as Lord and Savior. Um, And everything in the kingdom of heaven works pretty much the opposite of this world and operates in submission to God's authority. And it's the now and the not yet. Jesus' invasion of the world marked the inauguration of his kingdom on earth. So as believers, we live in his kingdom now, but we won't experience it fully until Jesus' return. And being a great teacher, Jesus had a plan to meet those objectives. Through his entire preaching and teaching ministry, but most especially um, through his three predictions of his suffering, death, and resurrection, We'll see that along with each prediction of his passion, Jesus offers teaching about a manifestation of the kingdom of heaven and teaching on the cost and nature of discipleship designed to expand and change his disciples' understanding of how a Messiah will save. Now, why three times? Why did Jesus share three separate predictions? Any thoughts about that? Good days number. to drive the point home you said good number yeah yeah what you want to say more about that can be the, um, like third day third day yeah the staff yeah just seems to come in scripture a lot yeah absolutely um you Thank know you. the first thing i thought of when i was reading this and planning this class i thought Three times, you know, why do you share three separate predictions? And I thought, well, the first two didn't take. So, I mean, you know, obviously he's going to need at least another one. But it's not like Jesus didn't know that. It's not that he didn't know that um, they weren't going to take. Remember in John's gospel, Jesus said, and now I have told you this before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. Any good teacher knows context and repetition are essential for retention and recall. So why do the gospel writers include all three accounts? So in Matthew's gospel account of Jesus's first prediction of his death and resurrection, it goes like this. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. So from that time refers to ever since Peter confessed Jesus as Messiah. So the writers could have gotten away with not including every account, right? But each of the synoptics has Jesus predicting his death and resurrection three times. So this is one of those places in scripture where I wonder how people question the integrity of these writings, whether this stuff is really accurate. I mean, if you were these guys, would you have included all three predictions if you didn't have to? Because including all three predictions means also including all three times that they failed to understand and all three times that they did or said something really stupid following Jesus's prediction. So if it were me, I would have gone with from that time on and called it a day, but they didn't. The gospel writers included all three. By the time of writing, Jesus's disciples would have had some of Jesus's pedagogy rub off on them. And so they would understand that repetition is important to drive home that is normal for the followers of Christ to struggle with their faith, to help us see clearly that spiritual blindness plagues even those closest to Jesus, and to increase our confidence in the love and grace of our Lord in spite of our unbelief. Now, this is not the only time we see scripture use the number three in an important way, like Cumbie brought up earlier. Cumbie mentioned the Trinity and Jesus rising on the third day. Are there some other examples that you guys can think of? Jonah. Jonah, yep, belly the whale for three days. Peter. Peter's denial, yep. Anything else? So, um In creation, in the creation story, on the third day, God brought forth land and vegetation, plants yielding new life. In the sixth day, multiple of three. What did God create? People, yep, people, life from dust. Um, We hear about Abram, Genesis 22 tells us that Abram sees the place where God wants him to offer his son Isaac as as an offering on the third day. Uh, Jonah spends three days in the belly of the fish. Um, Hosea predicts that God will restore Israel on the third day. And Jesus says that he will rise again after three days. He predicts that Peter will deny him three times and he asks Peter three times, do you love me to restore him after his denial? Is there anything that you notice about each of those examples? Any common thread in those? So three is often a number involved in instances of the Lord bringing life from death. Three is a number of completion, and three is a number associated with covenantal promises between God and his people. After Jesus' third prediction, Jesus will march to Jerusalem where he will die and rise to life to give us life in him. The third day represents God's initiative in creating new life and establishing his covenant with humanity. And so it makes sense then that Jesus would predict predict his death three times. So that was all by way of introduction for these four weeks where we're going to talk about these three different predictions. So we're going to jump in this week. We won't get very far, but we're going to jump into the first Prediction this week. Did anybody have anything you wanted to add or comment or questions to this point? Okay. All right. Well, we will jump into his first prediction. So I'm going to primarily use um, Mark's gospel for this class, but we'll draw from other accounts as it's helpful. Um, so let's start with Mark um, 8, 30 verses 31 and 32. And he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So verse 31 starts, and he began to teach them. So that conjunction and at the beginning of the sentence tells us that this is a continuation of something, right? So what is this a continuation of? What discussion is Jesus adding on to here? Can anybody remember? Isn't this after Peter says you are the Christ? Yep, exactly. So verses 27 and 30 that come right before this are Peter's confession. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. So we established in the introduction that Jesus is, in addition to being the Savior of the world, a great teacher. And every good teacher does more asking than telling. So, what question does Jesus ask to get this discussion going? Who do, people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And then he's really getting to the point when he asks them, Who do you say that I am, right? What is Jesus' objective in asking them this? To draw out a confession. Yeah, he's, this is important, right? He needs, he needs to know that they know. Um, The objectives Jesus has for his disciples include that they know who he is and what he came to do. So Peter answers quickly and correctly, you are the Christ, identifying Jesus as the anointed one, the Messiah, the one chosen and sent by God to be deliverer and king. Now in this gospel, Matthew writes from that time, indicating that from the time that Peter identified Jesus as the Christ, the long awaited Messiah, Jesus began teaching his disciples about his coming passion. So Peter's confession is what prompts Jesus's first passion prediction. Why? Why is this confession the catalyst? Um, so like Lucy was saying, because even as Peter confesses, Jesus knows that Peter's understanding of what that means is limited and flawed. Matthew goes on to write that Peter's answer is the result of divine revelation, but we see immediately that this revelation has only partially opened Peter's eyes and heart to see who Jesus really is. As boldly as Peter confessed Jesus as Messiah, he then rebukes Jesus for saying he will do exactly what Messiah was always meant to do. This is the first time the disciples have heard Jesus say it, but it's not the first time that they've heard that suffering and death are what the Messiah must endure. To go back to what you were saying, Lisey, these guys would know their scripture backward and forward. They would have known the hundreds of prophetic Passages in the Old Testament that tell of a coming Messiah who would save his people, delivering them from the bondage of sin and death. Still, in the minds of the people, the Christ would be the one who would reestablish Israel as a superior nation and make all the promises of God to Abraham and David of a glorious messianic kingdom come true. They imagined a Messiah different than scripture described, one who would come with a military might to deliver them from years and years of captivity to earthly kings and pagan nations. But if Jesus's passion predictions were true, he couldn't possibly be that person. There was no room in their view of Messiah for the cross. Peter's confession is the catalyst for Jesus's first passion prediction Because despite the boldness and the clarity of Peter's confession, Jesus knows if he were to dust off his hands, pack up his briefcase, and call it a day right now, his disciples, including Peter, would still be very much in the dark about who he is. So now as Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem, he is recasting for his disciples who the Christ is and what he will do. Jesus is ensuring his disciples will have enough information about what it means that he is the Messiah so that when the time comes, they will be fully able to see who Jesus is. So let's take a minute and look at what Jesus actually says in foretelling his death this first time. But before we do that, can we just take a second to feel a little something for the disciples in this moment? I mean, Peter has just confirmed what everybody's been wondering, hoping this guy, Jesus, he's the one, this is it. Oh boy, are the Romans gonna get it now? Of all the things Jesus might have said, this is not what anyone expected to be the next thing to come out of his mouth. What Jesus says next is that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day rise again. Not what anyone was hoping for at that moment. let's unpack this just a little bit so to begin with who does jesus say must suffer and be rejected and die who is he talking about he's talking about himself but look at the words that he uses the son of man we see here that jesus refers to himself in the third person Now, before I became a mom, I would hear women in the grocery store um, refer to themselves in the third person, you know, mommy needs to get some spaghetti, mommy's going to, and I thought I will never ever do that and lo and behold, I had children and there I was, you know, mommy's going to the store, mommy needs to cook some dinner. But never when I was speaking to anyone else, right? Never in my life have I ever said Leslie would like steak for dinner. (laughs) That has never happened, will never happen. Why has that never happened? Because I'm not a weirdo. That's why. So when we read this in scripture and we do a lot, it can strike us as weird. But Jesus isn't being weird. Again, he's being intentional. Son of man is the primary title Jesus uses to refer to himself in scriptures. It's used more than 80 times in scripture, 30 in Matthew alone. Now, why did Jesus do this? He could have said, I will suffer many things and kept it simple. I mean, everybody seems confused enough as it is. But he didn't. Jesus referring to himself as son of man is intentional and deliberate. In Daniel 7, the prophet Daniel saw glory worship and worship in an everlasting kingdom given to the Son of Man. This is a messianic prophecy. Son of Man refers to the Messiah. Throughout his ministry, Jesus will speak about his coming kingdom. Hebrews 2 verses five through nine, referencing Psalm 8, teaches that the true Son of Man will be the ruler of all things. Son of Man is a fulfillment of prophecy and it is this connection, this very identity that gives Jesus his death sentence before Caiaphas and the council. See, these were learned men of the scriptures. They would have recognized this scripture reference to the son of man coming and conquering victory to establish his eternal kingdom with all the power and authority of God in heaven. The council and Caiaphas rightly interpret this as Jesus saying that he is equal with God, that he is. God, but rather than fall on their knees in worship, they accuse him of blasphemy and sentence him to death. Jesus uses the title Son of Man throughout his teaching and preaching ministry to give a comprehensive description of who he is as Messiah. The title Son of Man tells us three things about the nature of this Messiah. It tells us about his humanity, it tells us about his humility, And it tells us about his divinity first it tells about his humanity now can anybody remember which prophet god referred to as a son of man you guys remember who that was ezekiel um god called ezekiel son of man simply referring to ezekiel as a human being other titles for christ like son of god overtly refer to his deity Son of Man focuses on Jesus's humanity. Jesus Christ, born of a woman coming in the flesh, was truly human. Um, The title Son of Man also tells about his humility. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, holy and eternal, left the glory of heaven and came down into our mess. He took on human flesh, was born in lowly accommodations, lived in a backwater town, and was despised and rejected by mankind as prophesied by Isaiah. Luke tells us the son of man had no place to lay his head. Matthew tells us that the son of man ate and drank and kept company with sinners and that the son of man suffered at the hands of men. This was not about Jesus making poor choices and not reaching his full potential. This was not a hastily thrown together plan that went south. This was an intentional lowering of his status from king of heaven to son of man. This was the epitome of humility. This is Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." This aspect of the title Son of Man is key for the disciples' understanding of what kind of Messiah Jesus was and for understanding the kingdom of heaven and how it works. And last, the title Son of Man tells about his deity. God may have called Ezekiel a son of man, but Jesus is the son of man. Jesus is the second Adam and the perfect Israel. Jesus is all God intended mankind to be. In him, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Jesus uses this title, son of man, for himself throughout his ministry to paint a progressive and complete picture of who he is. He is the all-conquering victor and king of the eternal kingdom, seated at the right hand of the Father. And he is the suffering servant with no place to lay his head. He is fully human and fully divine. He is the son of God and the son of man. So Jesus says, the son of man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the gang, be killed and after three days rise again. Whoa. Hold the phone, wait a minute. To the mind of the disciples, Jesus had gone off script. What is happening? Obviously, Jesus has misunderstood who the disciples expect him to be and what they expect him to do. So Peter, ever the take charge guy, sets to work setting Jesus straight. In response to Jesus's prediction, Peter rebukes him, tells Jesus he's got it all wrong. These things will never happen to him. Not on Peter's watch anyway. Now one of the things that we see in each of his passion predictions is that Jesus, the teacher par excellence, gives a lesson on the cost of discipleship, a lesson on the cost of following him and the nature of the kingdom of God. Jesus began his ministry announcing that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. By the time Jesus foretells his death for the first time, his disciples have seen multiple manifestations of this. By this time, Jesus has performed multiple healings and other miracles. He has refuted and taught with greater authority than the religious leaders. He has bent nature to his will, and he has been commended and approved audibly by God. On paper, Jesus seems to have all the necessary credentials to be the guy they're looking for, the one who can save the Jews from Roman oppression and restore them to their status as a great nation. But in foretelling his death, Jesus doubles down on teaching his disciples the nature of the kingdom of God and what it means to follow him. Jesus uses Peter's rebuke as a teaching opportunity for all the disciples. Peter's rebuke, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you, shines a spotlight on Peter's partial vision of who Jesus is. How can Jesus save if he is killed? In Peter's mind, and he certainly wasn't alone, Jesus' death would mean defeat and all was for naught. Peter, like us, wanted to define Jesus according to his own terms and his own priorities. Peter's confusion about Jesus' predicted fate reminds us how weird it is to embrace a suffering Christ to accept as a leader and a guide one on his way to execution. But Jesus is intentional in teaching his disciples that his identity does not only include those things, but that his identity is defined by those things. We'll see this next week in Jesus's response to Peter. So next week, we're going to talk about Peter's rebuke and Jesus's subsequent teaching on the cost of discipleship and the nature of the kingdom of heaven. Does anybody have any questions? Yeah, absolutely. We actually are gonna talk about that more um, next week about how it's over and over again, we'll see that they just jump right over that part. You know, it's like all hooked on the dying and the death and like just totally missed this, like, well, wait, what's that about, you know? So yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, we tend to focus on the panic rather than the promise, right? <laughs> Yeah. Kate? In the earlier slide, right before this one at the end, it said, um, Yeah, you know, I always love that. You know, there's so many times, even leading up to this point, that happens, right? There's like a miraculous healing or something, and Jesus is like, you know, but he told them, don't tell anybody. And I'm always like, why? Why don't you want people to know? It's so cool. So does anybody want to say anything about that? Well, yeah, we have a real um, tendency to put the emphasis on the wrong syllable, right, and so, you know, if everybody's running around, oh my gosh, you know, Jesus healed me this way, and oh my gosh, Jesus is the Messiah, or whatever, before there was a complete understanding, you know, they're immediately trying to put a crown on his head, or alternately trying to kill him before it's time, right, So all of this is intentional all of this is in jesus's good timing and it's not time yet but like yeah it always drives me crazy reading that kate i'm with (laughs) you it also speaks to the authenticity because who would do that Mm. anybody else would say go tell everybody make it known so it's so opposite yeah that's a good point carrie yeah that's a good word. That's a good word about the third-person thing, too. I hadn't thought about it that way. That's a good one. Um, yeah, <laughs> mommy doesn't need your help. Um, yeah, I think that's great. Um, I yeah. found myself that when your children grow up and you want to speak to them in third-person, you say, Oh, no, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> Does it work anymore? but yeah I do think that's great Allison how he took him aside and it, it's funny right I mean I feel like we operate that way too right like we need to tell God his business you know um and he doesn't need us so okay well the bells are ringing so let me pray for us and um we'll jump back in next week uh, Lord and Heavenly Father um I just pray that you would use um this teaching Lord um for our good and for your glory um, Lord, anything that has been said here that was not of you, I pray that you would just wipe it from all of our minds. But those things that you would have us um, to take root in our hearts, um, that you would use those in, um, in a transformative way. Thank you, Lord. Pray that you would be with us throughout this day. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting...